All right, so we are pleased to have Dr. Jessica Canis back with us today. Dr. Canis is a pediatric emergency medicine physician at Riley Hospital for Children. She previously spoke with us about pediatric fever, so if you need a refresher, go back to episode one and take a listen. Today we'll be discussing a topic that she holds near and dear to her heart, and that's pediatric sedation. This is covered under the pharmacology section, which accounts for 2% of the board content outline. Welcome back, Dr. Canis. Thank you for having me back. I would like to introduce Dan Slabowski, a future PEM faculty himself, (laughs) soon to be. (laughs) So uh, we're going to go through a couple of sedation methods, and we're going to do this by case-by-case presentation. And so hopefully we'll get an idea of some of the drugs that we commonly use in conscious sedation, as well as what they should be used for, maybe some of their adverse effects, contraindications, and that sort of thing. So let's talk about a pretty typical case that we get in the emergency department, I'd say. Younger child, three-year-old male, comes in with a large spider bite to the buttocks. Ah, MRSA spider. Very swollen, firm, very tender. We all know it's probably not a spider bite, but this is going to take probably a little bit of sedation to help this kid out. So what needs to be done and what am I trying to do with this kid medically? Should we use pain control? Should we use angiolysis? Should we restrict the movement in any way? And what kind of contracations and comorbidities are we looking at if we're going to sedate this kid? So you already went through your goals of sedation. So whenever you're thinking about a procedure in the emergency room, you want to think of what do we need to have happen? You know, first and foremost, we want to keep the patient safe and the people performing the procedure safe. If you're trying to take a scalpel to a child who's bucking around, it's not safe for them. It's not safe for you. So that's a really big thing. Secondly, and most important for parents, too, is we want to minimize physical discomfort and pain. We don't want this to be super distressing and scar him for the rest of his life. We want to get adequate analgesia and pain control. Also, there are kids that you can give good pain control, but they're very anxious. So do you need some anxiolysis? Do you want to minimize how traumatic this is to the patient? The other thing that can be really difficult, too, is controlling movement of the patient. Sometimes you need them really still. If you have a difficult form body in the ear, sometimes you can't do it safely unless the patient is still and not moving. So sedation is kind of a goal for that. The other thing with sedation is we, don't, we also want to keep them safe. We want to get them home adequately. So for a patient with an abscess, it's on the buttocks. It's a little more difficult to get that, keep them safe, and we know these hurt. They hurt bad. So you need something with analgesia. Something that's going to minimize discomfort and pain and something that's going to help him psychologically. So when we think about our levels of sedation, we do kind of some mild, moderate, and deep sedation. There's multiple medicines we can do each way, but I think having this kid be a little sleepy is probably not the way to go. I think we want him a lot of sleepy. (laughs) So, Dan, I'm going to throw this back to you. What medicine do you see a lot of us use in the pediatric emergency department for deep sedation? Deep sedation, the most common go-to is ketamine for a lot of us, and usually gets these kids well sedated enough that they don't usually remember what's going on, and they stay pretty still. And parents seem to like it as well because they don't really feel much of the pain and have too many adverse events from when you give ketamine so yeah so you're looking at we're talking about levels of sedation so mild sedation they really should respond to you but be distractible and moderate sedation they react a little bit less and when you think about sedation the level is a continuum it goes from mild moderate to deep and then to general anesthesia we are not doing general anesthesia i always tell parents we want them to breathe on their own cough gag um, and ketamine's great for that The one thing to remember about ketamine is it's a dissociative agent. It doesn't really fit levels of sedation. It's not really moderate or deep. It's kind of they're dissociated or they're not. And the reason we bring up ketamine with this case is it's probably our best option for him. 
to get an IV, to give them good analgesia. You also have pain relief properties with ketamine, and they're going to be asleep for this to get this incision and drainage done properly. Yeah, so commonly with ketamine, you know, we want to get them asleep properly. But of course, every drug has maybe some adverse mm-hmm. effects that we need to look out for. So what are some of the adverse effects that we typically see with ketamine, or what do we need to tell parents about for when we're given ketamine? There's a lot of things you need to tell parents about ketamine because <laughs> they freak out quite a bit. So just so you know, Ketamine does have some sympathomimetic effects, so it will raise your heart rate and blood pressure, but not dangerously so, but to expect that. It will preserve those airway reflexes. The most common side effect we see with ketamine, and I tell parents this all the time, is vomiting. It also can increase your secretion, so if you're doing something in the mouth, consider an adjunctive agent such as Robinol or atropine to kind of dry that out. Rarely they can get apnea or hypoxia. Typically what they do is they hypoventilate, they get hypopnic. And so that's why end-tidal CO2 monitoring and full sets of monitors while you're doing these sedation can help. So you, you can pick up the hypoventilation before they desat. There's also, um, you can also give supplemental oxygen during your sedation to prevent desaturation. It does happen usually if they push the ketamine too quickly or in patients that are very anxious prior to the sedation, they can hyperventilate. So then when they are calm with their sedative medicine, they kind of just stop. So that's something to be aware of. Rarely you can see laryngospasm. You can reverse that or you can bag through it to overcome it. That is rare. Also, you can note that some kids get recovery agitation. The other thing I like to tell parents is you'll notice them when they go to sleep, their eyes kind of get wide and they get nystagmus. That's a normal side effect of the medicine. And most kids will keep their eyes open throughout the procedure. That is a normal thing. It just freaks them out. They also can moan and groan because those are reflexive kind of things, but they're not awake, aware, or processing anything. And I think you mentioned a good thing in terms of what we need for when we're doing sedations in general. What are some of the things that are good to have for every sedation to be there no matter what so that we're fully prepared? Yes. And for those of you that like mnemonics, there's the be prepared every sedation every time. Soap me. So S, suction, having age-appropriate suction devices. Usually a Yankar will do for most kids. Make sure oxygen is not only there, the delivery device is there so that you have a bag that's the appropriate size for the patient. The oxygen is on and functioning. Appropriate airway rescue devices. We're not going to bring the CMAC into every room, but you do want to make sure you know how to do a good jaw thrust and positioning of the airway if needed. Um, So if we want drugs and the reversal agents, I typically don't think too much about reversal agents personally because if I can't bag this patient, I should not be sedating them. So I kind of like to make sure I'm sedating the right patient every time. Then we mentioned already monitors, so your cardiorespiratory monitors, pulse ox, frequent blood pressure monitoring, and then I love entitled CO2 monitoring because it gives you a continuous waveform to see how they're ventilating. And then equipment, IV access, the crash cart immediately available, that sort of thing. All right, so remember soap me, S for suction, O for oxygen, A for airway devices, P for pharmacologics or your drugs, M for monitors, and E for other equipment. Yeah, I think you mentioned the greatest point of all about for these kids that may be desaturating, simple jaw thrust is one of your best friends, and that's usually the first go-to that we need to look Mm -hmm. at when they may be becoming hypoxic in this sort of situation. So, All right, so we learned a little bit about ketamine. So let's go on to a second case. We have a little bit of an older patient, maybe a 16-year-old coming in. It is football season, so we're seeing a couple of injuries this time around comes in with a clear shoulder dislocation with his left shoulder he does have a history of asthma but it's relatively well controlled so let's talk about this patient shoulder dislocation what needs to be done what might be a good agent for this patient that comes in so dan i am going to backtrack you mentioned he has asthma but he's well controlled and not having problems so that also brings me to the point of is this a safe patient 
to sedate in the emergency department. And that's really a big, big deal, you know, aside from NPO status. You know, healthy, normal child, we don't think anything about it. There are ASA classifications, one, two, three, four, and five. One and two, we typically feel comfortable. Two is kind of a mild systemic disease, like controlled asthma, controlled diabetes. Class three is a child with severe systemic disease, so actively wheezing, heart disease, that sort of thing. And then four and five are kids that are much sicker. That It's not really the best place to be doing procedural sedation. And I have to say, this doesn't come up often, um, but when you see a lot of kids with chronic medical problems or a difficult airway, they're really not the best candidate for sedation in the emergency department. They probably need general anesthesia. But for this guy, he's a healthy athlete with mild controlled asthma. He just needs a quick procedure, right? We just need to pop that shoulder in. We're ready to go. And ketamine's nice, but it's very long acting. You get the IV. It takes a little bit more time to kick in. So the other agent I really like, especially for these big muscular guys, because it gets you gets them a little bit more relaxed, is propofol. So propofol is really nice. It's very quick onset, short recovering time. They don't get the vomiting. It's a nice antiemetic. The one thing is that there is no analgesia, so you need to make sure you're giving good pain control. You can get more respiratory depression and hypotension. So if you have a hypotensive patient, you don't want to give propofol. But in this healthy, otherwise kid, this would be a great medicine. Quick on, quick off, get the procedure done. One milligram per kilogram, titrate to desired effect and then pop that shoulder back in. We know you can do this pretty easy. Right, yeah. The quick on, quick off is probably the most important part of propofol Mm -hmm. for this sort of thing, and it helps from our standpoint with the efficiency in the emergency department so that we don't have to be washing these kids for too long. There's a couple of other agents that they started using a little bit more often when they saw ketamine and they saw propofol and they Mm -hmm. thought, why not combine them? (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. Good lead-in. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so it brings us to ketofol, which is kind of half and half of ketamine and propofol. And so what's nice is the propofol kind of gets them a little more relaxed, deeper, quicker onset, but it also has the antiemetic properties. The ketamine kind of keeps you, gives you the pain relief and helps it last a bit longer so you're not redosing as quickly. Really good in bigger kids. and little kids, they don't get the side effects or the kind of agitation when they wake up as much as older children and adults. So it's kind of a nice option to use. Most of us will use it in a one-to-one ratio. So we talked a little bit about moderate sedation and deep sedation. What happens when we have that patient who comes in who may only need a little bit of minimal sedation? So for example, somebody with a finger laceration who may need some pain control or may just need to be calmed down, what types of agents might we be looking at for for these types of patients here? Yeah, so it's really good to think about what pain medicine or anxiolysis you can use for simple procedures, not just the severely painful things like shoulder dislocations or an incision and drainage. So just a simple laceration. You know, simple lacerations on the face, we can use local like um, lidocaine, epinephrine, tetracaine jelly. So the topical lidocaine that works really well so you don't have to inject. Obviously, there are other areas you can you may need to inject with local lidocaine. Finger lacerations or anything that you can block, blocking is always a good, making good use of your nerve blocks, especially like a digital block. However, if you go to a school-age child, you know, a first grader with a finger laceration, you know you can block that, get it numb, but they're a little anxious, they're a little apprehensive about it. And so there's some other things you can do. One thing I use a lot and I really enjoy is nitrous oxide. Not enjoy personally, but enjoy using. Um, The dentists use it really well, and it's something I don't think we've used enough in the emergency department. So nitrous oxide is really nice. It's an odorless, colorless gas. 
causes a little bit of CNS depression and euphoria, but it does not affect the respiratory drive. There is some analgesic properties and anxiolytic. Um, it's quick uptake. Within a few minutes, they start feeling it, and it's quick off in about two to three minutes. And it's a gas that just kind of is insoluble, goes down a gradient into the other tissues. So nitrous is a very safe drug. It's mild sedation. The big thing with nitrous when you use it is you need to make sure you're still doing good pain control. So making sure you do that digital block. You also need a child who's going to be okay wearing the mask over his face and breathing it in. The other thing that's nice with nitrous oxide is a lot of the masks are scented, and so they smell really good, and it kind of kids kind of like it. They feel cool like they're a pilot or an astronaut or something. But the other thing with nitrous oxide is you need to make sure you're doing good distraction. So it helps eliminate anxiety. It helps reduce movement. They're very redirectable. You'll hear kids yell, ow, and then they start laughing at something else. But I do find one tip is the distraction, the more um, active the distraction is, like looking for an I spy book or playing a game versus just watching TV, which is more of a passive distraction, it tends to work much better. The more they involved they are in something else. When I give nitrous, I have the kid talking the whole time. So it's really nice. The one side effect you do see with the nitrous oxide is you can get vomiting with it. That's usually the higher doses and the longer the procedure. We usually don't do procedures long enough for them to get the vomiting. And if they start to feel dizzy or nauseous, all you have to do is do an oxygen flush that flushes the tubing system of all the nitrous oxide, and it gives them fresh oxygen to help mediate those symptoms. The other thing with nitrous oxide is because it's gas expanding in a closed space, you don't want to use it in a patient with a pneumothorax, a bowel obstruction, or severe obstructive pulmonary disease. Certain chemotherapeutic agents are contraindicated as well. Again, those aren't really the kids we're doing in the emergency department. So it's quick on, quick off. Put the mask on. They're nice and relaxed. They may feel the initial stick of your digital block, but then they're very redirectable and move on. So that's a nice option. The other option for kind of mild anxiolysis that we use a lot, we use our local but also just some Versed. A.K.A. midazolam. You can do it many different ways. We can dose it orally, intranasally, IV, IM. I like oral when I can and I have time because then it's a little less irritating than intranasal. Intranasal works well and it works faster, but sometimes you've made the child angry enough shoving something up their nose that they kind of, you lose them for a little bit. So oral Versed works nice. The problem is some kids are real happy and relaxed, some are giggling, and some are angry, and it's hard to know which third your child's going to be. So the good news is they may still be angry, but they don't remember anything. It's a nice amnestic as well as anxiolytic. Again, same thing with as with nitrous, good distraction, good pain control, because there's no analgesia with person. I hear a little bit of a shout out to our child life specialists out there as they seem to be our best friends when it comes to any type of sedation procedure overall. So with those distraction techniques that we do. So we talked a little bit about some agents that give us a little bit of anxiolysis, but what happens when we, what do we use when we want to give some analgesia effect or some mm-hmm. added effect for this anxiolysis? So aside agents? from your local medications, so your lidocaine, your tetracaine, your benzocaine, whatever you can do to do some local um, fentanyl if you need to. A lot, we used to use morphine a lot for severe pain. Intranasal fentanyl is really nice because it's quick on. It gets them more comfortable. And a lot of times, once you get that initial pain under control, it's a lot easier to examine and kind of get them into a better state. You also can remember, you know, ibuprofen and Tylenol are also really good pain medicines for minor injuries and minor procedures if needed in addition to your anxiolysis. And I know that, you know, uh, beyond fentanyl, we have some other agents that are kind of creeping into the emergency department world that maybe aren't of the opiate brand, but 
do provide some pain relief in, in certain studies. And one of those agents that we've been seeing a little bit more of is uh, subdissociative ketamine. So subdissociative ketamine is really nice. So it doesn't dissociate, so it's not sedation, but it's a nice pain medicine and seems to be as effective as morphine in relieving pain. We're looking at doses from 0.3 mg per kg of ketamine to 0.5, depending on how they are. But typically, this helps with severe, such as long bone fractures while you're waiting for a reduction. The thing is to make sure your nurses are educated so they don't freak out that you're sedating every patient with a fracture before ortho is even here. Because this is dissociative. This is just the analgesia properties of ketamine. But again, same side effects. You may have some vomiting, um, but lower doses, so less likely. So I think those are most of the main agents that we use for conscious sedation. Are there any big points that you want us to take away from this talk here? So in summary, I just want you, when you're approached with a procedure and you're thinking about sedation, think about the goals of your sedation. What, How deep do you need the sedation to be to accomplish what you want? How can you do it safely? So make sure you're sedating in the right patient population, that they're safe for sedation. Uh, don't forget the simple things like local lidocaine and child life sweeties to help kind of make your procedure go as best as possible. All right. Those are some great points to take away. And we'd like to thank Dr. Canis for coming in here again. And I'm sure uh, David and Ashley will be asking her back sometime really soon. So thanks for having me.